ask you a question. Have you ever uh, had something that you had been waiting for really long time to the point where you didn't know if you were ever going to get the thing you were waiting for? Like just a really, really long time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or you're waiting for something to happen and you're waiting and you're waiting. Maybe some of you are still waiting for something to happen and you just don't think it's ever going to actually happen. Anybody? S- some of you may know this uh, Back in November, I put my car in the shop, and um, uh, there was a, a, a popular oil change chain, uh, oil change chain that made a mistake and really messed up my engine. And uh, I will tell you, they made it right and they paid for all the repairs. So I won't say their names and, and, and do that. They made they made things right, but um, it was supposed to take like a month, and a month went by and and it wasn't fixed, and they couldn't find the issue, and maybe next month, and so on and so forth, and uh, it took, in all in all, six months <laughs> for me to get my car back, and about halfway through that time, I told Donnie, I said, I don't think this is ever going to happen. I think it's probably dead for good, and I went with our tax return, just bought something cheap, uh, because I, I didn't think I was ever going to get my car back, so uh, and finally, uh, I did get it back, and it was a big miracle, but six months is a long time for your car to be in the shop. Anybody? I mean, that's, uh, hopefully that never happens to any of you. I remember, um, at, you know, uh, my mother-in-law, Pastor Kathy, and Pastor Greg both had their cars in the shop for different things, and they were um, uh, kind of upset about it taking a week or two, and I thought that was cute. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like, just wait till you get to uh, <clears throat> where you're counting months. So I don't know if you've ever had something like that where you've been waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you're waiting and you just, it, it maybe it's never going to happen. Well, what we're going to see today is the culmination of something that David and Israel and all of David's friends were waiting for and probably got to a point where they didn't think it was ever actually going to happen. So uh, just a brief review. The last time we were in 2 Samuel, um, we had uh, Ishbosheth, who was the uh, supposed king of the northern tribes. He was killed by his two remaining um, uh, fighting men, so to speak. And uh, they tried to get in, uh, get favor with David by doing that. And David didn't ask them to do that. He was not uh, wanting Ishbosheth to be killed. He didn't want to try to force his way into any kingdom. He wanted God to do the work, and so he wasn't happy about that, so he put them to death. Um, but it did end up finally culminating to what we're going to see today, uh, which is what we've been waiting for. All of 1 Samuel, really, since chapter 16, I think, uh, all the way through now, over a decade uh, of running, being on the run, being a fugitive, uh, King Saul trying to kill David, even though he's supposed to be king. And if you, if you ever just picked up First and Second Samuel and just read it like a normal book and didn't know the end before the beginning, you would probably start to wonder as you're reading, is this ever actually going to happen? Is it really ever going to happen? And, and here we are in Second Samuel chapter 5. We'll start in verse 1. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Here we are, your own flesh and blood. Even while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led us out to battle and brought us back. The Lord also said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, 
King David made a covenant with them at Hebron in the Lord's presence, and they anointed David king over Israel. And that is finally what was supposed to happen. If you've been trekking with us through all these weeks, it took a lot for what God promised would happen to happen. And there's three things here I just want to, there's three ways that the, the northern tribes really proclaim their commitment. Number one, they talk about their relationships. He said, we're your, we're your own bone and flesh, which is a sober reminder that we've been fighting against our own bone and flesh this whole time. Basically say, why are we doing this? We're your own bone and flesh. We're brothers and sisters. We're citizens of the same kingdom. Let's return to one another. So they appealed to that relationship. They appealed to his leadership. They said, even when Saul was king over us, you were the one that led us into battle, right? So true leadership is influence, right? Saul may have had the position, but David had the influence all along. That's leadership, and they're acknowledging this now. And then finally, they appealed to the promise that God had made. They said, the Lord said to you, you will be my shep my people, the shepherd over my people Israel, and you'll rule over them. And that last argument is probably the most crucial one. Because God's, God did promise this kingdom to David. And it, it kind of began as a threat, really, to Saul, the king. God's promise began as a threat. It became apparent to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 when he anointed David. But then it kind of hung in suspicion over Saul. And it tormented Saul. And Saul multiple times tried to kill David, throwing spears chasing him with armies, getting even to where David might doubt this. But then it was also, it was assumed by his friends. His friends assumed this was going to happen, even though everything looked like it wasn't going to happen. In fact, a lot of times when David was really discouraged, they would encourage him by reminding him what God promised. We need friends like that, don't we? It was even acknowledged by his enemies. We read about this when Abner said to Ishbosheth. I'm going to give this king kingdom to David. He finally conceded that this kingdom belonged to David. So we see kind of this intense opposition this entire time to David being king. And David himself wouldn't force it. He's just counting on God to do it. He says, you're, you're going to be a shepherd. God said, you're going to be a shepherd. I thought he was going to be a king. Well, that is what a king should do. A king should serve, right? A king that would care for his people like a shepherd, his sheep. David was a shepherd. But it's as if when we read this, it's as, it's as if God is saying, do you see? Do you see how my promises to David have finally come to pass? Do you see how they weathered the venom of Saul? The follies of David? The rebellion of the north, David's self-seeking friends. Do you see how my promises have proved firm in the face of intense opposition? Chapters and chapters of this since Samuel 16. Can I just tell you that what we're seeing in these verses is the culmination of God's promises in spite of everything that's happened? All of God's promises to you are certain no matter how much resistance they may meet 
we're seeing that just in these three verses. If God's promised you something, and you have faced intense opposition, and to the point where you're like saying, maybe I'm misunderstood, or maybe this isn't gonna happen, let this be a reminder to you. If it was God's promise, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Verse four, David was 30 years old when he began his reign. He reigned 40 years in Hebron. He reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 30 years over all Israel and Judah. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem against the Jebusites who inhabited the land. The Jebusites had said to David, you're never gonna get in here. Even the blind and the lame can repel you thinking David can't get in here. So David is going to set up the capital in Jerusalem. It's not there yet. But the capital or Jerusalem is occupied by these people, the Jebusites. And they're kind of audacious here. They're kind of challenging. When you first read this, you're kind of left wondering, where do they get off saying this? This is David. He's like won every single battle he's fought. And they're saying, you can come against us, but even the blind and the lame are going to repel you, David. Kind of reminds me of certain people behind screens on social media. Just going to throw that out there. <laughs> because that's what they were doing. They were behind a pretty strong fortification. So it was easy to find some courage when they thought they would never actually have to back up that courage. That'd be a lesson to us. Because we're going to see what happens here in just a minute. Verse 7, David did capture the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And he said that day, whoever attacks the Jebusites must go through the water shaft to reach the lame and the blind who are despised by David. He's using this sarcastically now. For this reason, it is said, the blind and the lame will never enter the house. Okay, so they're behind this well-fortified city. They even have a replenishing water supply in the city, so they, they really felt like they were good and safe, like they didn't have to leave the city because they even had water that would replenish, and, and that's why they were so courageous, or so to speak, courageous, to say something as audacious as, you can come at us, Dave, but even our blind people are, can beat you. <laughs> and it wasn't, it didn't take very long where David said, you must go through the water shaft to reach the lame and the blind. And so the water that was replenishing in Jerusalem actually came from a source outside the wall. And they built a shaft, a tunnel, from the city to this water source. Now some, some scholars uh, will say that uh, David's men just cut off their source of water because he knew that. But uh, others, and most perhaps, actually believe that they found a way to climb up through that tunnel. Now that sounds somewhat simple. I don't know if any of you have been in a cave, but um, there is, uh, there's a picture of it right there. There's a cave in, uh, in Indiana called Wolf Cave. Anybody ever heard of Wolf Cave? Uh, it's down in McCormick's Creek. And uh, you can go through that cave. And it, it's, I'll be honest with you, it's very scary. I've done it once. I will never do it again, <laughs> ever. The walls, I mean, you're going like this, and it's pitch black, and you can't see anything. Uh, we went through as a family, and uh, Ethan was much younger, so don't, 
you know, but he, sorry, Ethan, he was a mess. He broke down in the middle of that cave, and I'm like, you just got to keep going, buddy. You got to keep going. He's like, I can't. The air is tight. It's really, really scary, and so when I saw this picture, uh, I kind of was reminded of that. This is actually today, that, wa that actual water shaft. Now, they didn't have a ladder, so they were going through a tunnel, and then they had to climb up through there to get into the city and take the city. So it, it, it sounds easy. It wasn't as easy as it sounded, but it probably surprised the Jebusites no less, right? And he even taunted them a little bit himself, saying, all right, lame and blind, here I come. And they took the city. For the first time in hundreds of years, another promise of God fulfilled. Verse 9, David took up residence in the stronghold, which he named the city of David. He built it up all the way around from supporting the supporting terraces inward. And David became more and more powerful, and the, and the Lord, of God, Lord God of armies was with him. Just a side note of verse 10. He became more and more powerful. God was with him. There's a principle there for us. We stick with God. He sticks with us. And he will protect us. He will reward us. He will use life's circumstances in our favor. But the key is that, that we are with the Lord. And we see this time and time again, not just in David's life. When Israel is serving the Lord, things are blessed. When they came out from underneath the Lord, things are not so blessed. And we see that just in this verse. But I wanted to kind of mention, we've met in, in scriptures, we've met the Jebusites before this. This isn't the first time they're talked about in scripture. Back in Genesis, when God promised the, promised the land of the Nile to the Euphrates, to Abraham's descendants, he meant the land that others occupied at that time. He's talking about the Jebusites. They're the last of the occupants. In fact, Genesis 15, verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hettites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim. For some reason, they're the only one that doesn't end in ites. I just noticed that the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. This is hundreds of years. This is a long time before David takes this city, right? This is another one of those promises that certainly Abraham in his lifetime, but maybe others in his, in his lineage were starting to wonder, is this ever going to happen? They even won a battle at one point over there, but they could not get the Jebusites out of Jerusalem. And here we are hundreds of years later, and David takes possession of Jerusalem, and another promise is fulfilled. If the first three verses taught us that God's promises are certain in the spite of life's intense opposition, then these teach us that God's promises are certain no matter how long they take. No matter how long they take. How long have you been waiting? How long have you been waiting? Sometimes God answers promises generationally. His, his perspective is a little bit different than ours. We have a very finite perspective. We really can only grasp 
our own lifetime. We could ponder eternity. God set eternity in our hearts, but we really can't understand it, right? But God's perspective is infinite. And when he's working out his promises, he does so in ways that span generations, and there's a good reason for that. Some we can infer and others we'll only know later. Some of it has to do with the fact that God is never, is always going to work things out to make us holy, to make us more like Jesus by how he delivers those promises. Those promises even become a tool in his hand to get even more out of every situation. You may be waiting long. It may be forever. You may get to the point where I still believe, but I don't understand why it's taking so long. But at some point in your life, in this life or in eternity, you'll look back and you'll see the reason for all of it. And you'll see how much better it was that God did it the way he did it in his timing than if he would have done it your way. Because he's perfect, right? He's perfect. He's infinite. We're finite. We're not perfect. It's also a reminder that God always has a plan. And as a human being on earth, I will only see and understand a very small part of that plan. So don't assume we know everything that God is doing or not doing. Don't ever assume God's not doing anything in my life. I don't, I don't see God doing anything in my life. Your perspective is so limited. My perspective is so limited. And God's work is infinitely larger than our human existence can even fathom. That's why we rely on the promises of God. We rely on the faith that we have that God is good. And it is faith, right? Because it's, it's, it's a lot of waiting. That's why it takes faith. But we cannot please God without faith. And what we take away here is that we're inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken no matter where you are today, it cannot be shaken, not because we're unshakable, but because God's promises are so strong that time cannot dissolve them nor enemies sabotage them. God's promises may be old or opposed, but they are never false. And when we watch David finally take hold of this, understand this, that the principles we see here about God's promises for David are the same for you and I because of Jesus and the cross. They're the same for you and I. Verse 11. King Hiram of Tyre sent envoys to David. He also sent cedar logs, carpenters, and stone masons, and they built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. After he arrived from Hebron, David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. We talked about that before. Not a great move, David. And more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names, names of those born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan. We have all these names that are really hard to say. And then in the middle of it, we've got Nathan. <laughs> I just, okay. Solomon, Ibar, Elishua, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphet. Seriously, all these names. And then Nathan, okay? These are the things I notice, right? It's like, might as well be like, 
you know, Shamua, Shabab, and Bob. You know, I like, <laughs> where, where did we slip in this normal name to us anyways? <laughs> in verse 12, though, it says, Then David knew. And this is something that we can learn about receiving God's promises. Where there might have been a shred of doubt while you're waiting, or you didn't understand why, you didn't know why things were going the way they were going. When God finally fulfills that promise, you will know. It says, Then David knew that the Lord had established him. Everything that happened up to this point, God was establishing him as king over Israel and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. David had to learn some things and come to understand some things before he could ever be a good king because a good king is a servant king. What these verses underscore is not that David's kingdom would be grandiose or that David re, uh, realizes he was exalted as king for himself, but that it was done for the sake of God's people. This wasn't about David. It was never about David. It was about God's people. I, I think about this, so I mean, we, we dream about, oh, what it would be like to be king, right? All of us at one point or another dream about like what it would be like if I was the person in charge. No problems because I'm in charge of everything and it can make things the way I want them, right? It's a pipe dream. I'm telling you, it's not true. We could fantasize, but it's not true. No doubt there have been kings like that. Saul was one of them. Just thought they were king because they were king and they could do what they wanted. And no doubt we have leaders today who are like that. I'm in leadership and I can do what I want. But what David is realizing is that being king is not easy. In fact, to be a good king is one of the hardest things anyone could do. Because to be a good king, you have to lay down your life for your people. To serve them. To care for them. Think of them first. Which, of course, runs completely against the grain of how people think today, right? We like attention. Some of us do. It depends on the kind of attention, I guess. <laughs> right? As one commentator that I read put it, it says, we crave homage and do not chase service. <laughs> you want to be recognized? We think it might be nice to be a leader because people will recognize us and we'll have lots of friends. But we don't always go after serving people. It doesn't come natural to serve. But the servant leader is the exact kind of leader that the world needs today. And David understood that. He came to understand that being king wasn't about or for him. It was about the people he served and it was for God. And the same is true about our lives. Our lives are not about or for us to begin with. You're not the main character in your story. If you are, you're killing yourself. I, I just gotta tell you that. Your life is not about you. And it's not even for you. And as you live life and make it about you and for you, eventually you find yourself in a living hell. 
Because you'll find out you're never satisfied. You'll find out that you can never do enough. You'll find out what you thought would make you happy only made you happy for a little while. It's like David. He realized being king was not about him or for him. It was about the people he served, and it was for God. And our lives are no different. It's about the people we serve, and it's for God. That's what our life is about. It's what we do for others and for God. And when we do that, and many of you know this already, there we find real fulfillment. It's not easy all the time. We could lose patience sometimes. I know recently we've, we've had extra help cleaning up the property, which has been great, but there have been times Donnie and I have, have cleaned up the property and we thought, I'm done with this. Let's take these basketball goals down. They don't deserve them. <laughs> it's not always easy to serve. But it's right. And in the end, we won't regret it. And David's learning that. Can we thank God today that Jesus, the King of Kings, understood that same thing that David was coming to understand. When God sent Jesus, it wasn't so Jesus can take a physical throne in the world that was his anyway. Jesus said it himself. I did not come to be served, but to serve. David was realizing to be a good king, he would have to lay down his life for his people. Jesus knew the same thing on a much grander scale. He became obedient to the laws of this broken world, even to death. He laid his life down. And he said, no one loves a friend greater than this, than a man lay his life down for his friends. We talk about a king lay down their lives for the people they serve. Jesus, the King of Kings, laid down his life for you. See, we needed that. We still need that. We need someone to stand in the gap for us, someone to serve our sentence for our sin. Jesus did that. Sin separates us from God both here on earth and eternity. If you're living life for yourself, if you've made life about you and the things that you want, there's a separation between you and God. And you pro I probably don't have to describe it. You probably know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a gap. There's an emptiness. There's something missing. It hurts even. Jesus came so it didn't have to be that way. He stood in the gap. He paid the sentence for our sin. He served his life to serve justice and open heaven to us today so that we can live with him in heaven we can realize God's promises in this life in spite of intense opposition. We can count on God's promises beyond this life in spite of the passing of time. And because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we are inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken.
not because we're unshakable, but because his promises are so strong that time cannot dissolve them and enemies cannot sabotage them. God's promises may be old or opposed, but they're never false. Let's pray. When we're going through the journey, Lord, and we're watching David, a man you said was someone after your own heart, go through everything that he went through. Even though he was supposed to be king, and even as we read the stories, we have to sometimes scratch our heads and go, why? Why is this happening? Why is it happening this way? Why won't David even take Saul's life and take his place? Why, Lord? And then we come to this day, and we see what it says here. What it says, then David knew. Then David knew. He knew why. Lord, for some of us today, we're waiting for that moment when we'll know why. I pray for faith between now and then. Some of us have experienced that, and we've received the promise, and we know why. And I thank you for that. And some of us today need to stop living our lives for ourselves and give our life to you, the servant king who laid down your life for us. With your eyes closed, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning? Maybe he's renewing your faith in a promise you know God has given you. Praise God for that. You're just saying, Pastor Mike, pray for me because I've been waiting a long time. Holy Spirit's reminding you of that promise this morning. You say, pray for me, Pastor Mike, that's me. Will you raise your hand? Let me know that. I want to pray for you. Amen. I've been waiting for some a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Put your hands down. Say, Pastor, if I'm being real, I've been living life for myself. I thought life was about me. It's easy to come by in this world because everything is about us. Everything's individualized. Everything is about what I like. It's, it's easy to come by that. I understand that. But you say, Pastor Mike, it hasn't gone well for me. And today, I want to make my life about Jesus and not about me anymore. I need his help with that. Would you pray for me? If that's you, will you raise your hand this morning? If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.